writing to the Colossians. Remember, Paul, he, uh, we don't have any record of him ever going to um, Colossae. Uh, is the name of the city, and so he is writing them from probably a prison in Rome, and uh, he is writing them because the pastor Epaphras of the Colossians probably was under Paul's tutelage at one point, and so he is going to talk to Paul and meet with him and just kind of discuss some things over the church. Paul had a lot of great accolades to say about the Colossians in chapter 1. Uh, he gave them an attaboy. How many like to get an attaboy every once in a while, right? A little pat on the back, good job. And he gave them uh, an attaboy. They're really, um, it's a little bit different than some, you know, the Corinthians. He dealt with it, when Paul dealt with the Corinthians, he was pretty strong with them because they had a lot of things going on. But here he gives the Colossians um, some some good feedback. But there's in this chapter 2, we're going to be looking at, um, four things that he addresses, and even though uh, he gave them high accolades, there were some things that were starting to kind of creep into the church. How many know that sometimes as believers, as God is doing something, as God is building something, sometimes things creep into the church, and that's what happens. And so uh, we're going to look at that tonight, and one of, you know, the four things that are coming in are uh, intellectualism is one of the things um, coming in, and then legalism, and then on, and another one is mysticism, and, and the last one is asceticism. Boy, those are a lot of words, aren't they? And I'm going to break those down uh, for you tonight just to kind of explain what what's going on. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together um, in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I'm going to stop right there. So the word struggle <clears throat> there um, that you see is um, here, if you have a King James Version, it probably says conflict. Anybody got a King James Version in here? No? Does it say conflict? Yeah, it says conflict or New King James. It, it probably says conflict. And it's from the Greek word agon where we get our word agony. Everyone say agony. So Paul is saying this, I am agonizing uh, uh, that you would be knit together in love. He he is he's not he's he's praying for them and he's saying I, I want you guys to be together in love. Uh, you know what does uh, you know well you as parents doesn't it do, do do make your heart do well when your kids are knit together in love, right? When they're fighting, not so much. But when they're when they're getting along and they're they're playing a game together and everyone's laughing and having fun. As a matter of fact, we were doing something the other night and I looked back at my wife and my kids were involved and I was involved and we were all laughing and I looked back at my wife who was behind us, not she was involved but she was doing something else. I looked back just to see a smile on her face as she was watching all these things unfold. And so he's saying that, hey, I, I, I hope that you guys are knit together in love. As believers, we should be knit together by the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So remember, I had mentioned this. Paul had not met them face to face. And so those in Colossae and, and those in Laodicea, which were two cities, they were really close to each other. There was no Facebook. There was no social media. 
the Colossian church did not have a website. Paul didn't have his ministry website on the World Wide Web. There was no live stream. Just old school, if I'm going to see you, I got to come see you kind of thing, right? How many can relate to that? How many know what I'm talking about? All right. Um, and so, but Paul, he, he uh, uh, even though he, he had not seen them in the physical, I believe he got a glimpse of them because he was praying for them. Just because you're not with someone doesn't mean that God will not give you a glimpse of how they're doing when you begin to pray for them. Has, this, has the Spirit of God ever just just overcome you when you're praying for someone and just put something in your heart about that person and then you call that person and they're like yeah that is exactly what's going on and God can do that through prayer and so I'm encouraged by that um, that that we can do that so and and I've done that uh, I'm, I'm amazed that when I pray for someone how God can shift my perspective of them I love that I mean I I I, I, I you know and you may be mad at someone, you may be praying for someone, but God can shift your perspective and show you what they need, okay? So, and um, they were encouraged, uh, it says this, that Paul, he, he was encouraged, they were knit together in love to understanding the knowledge of God's mystery. So, um, he says this, I, I, I'm praying for you, but first let me encourage you about what I'm going to say here. So, here's the first point. Why should we be knit together uh, with the cord of love as believers? What, what is important about that? Why, why should we be pulled together? John 13, 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? Love for who? You are called to love. You know why? Because Christ first loved you. Um, uh, not, you're, you know, it, I love this. You're not knit together because of your giftings. You're not uh, uh, knitted together by your talents. You're not knitted together by your busyness or by your business. No, but this is how you identify another Christian, by the way that they're loving on someone else. All right? Amen? All right. If you got it, say, I got that. And then, then he goes on to say this, the mystery in, in, in this. And, you know, a mystery, and you've heard me say this, going through books, Paul talks about mysteries. And mysteries in the Bible uh, are, are, are something that was not previously known but then is revealed. I'll give you an example. When I was about eight or nine years old, when I would see a girl, I always thought that that girl had cooties. Didn't want a girl touching me. Didn't want a girl around me. You know, that was the way it was. But at about the age of 13, something in me began to change. And those old boys that I was hanging out with were not as cute as that girl anymore. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so it was when I was younger, I didn't understand that. But as I got a little bit older, the mystery was revealed to me. I remember one time. Uh, um, Tristan came into church, and we were not dating or anything, but I remember she came into the church, and I saw her in a light like I had never saw her before. I had saw her many, 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 many times, but she walked in the building, and I said, "Woo! look at them, look at that blonde hair and then blue eyes. 
And so, you know, so it was a mystery that was revealed to me, all right? So look at this, Colossians 1.27, what is the mystery that Paul's talking about? He says, to them, God chose to make known, back in, in, in Colossians 1.27, says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means Christ dwelleth in you. That is the hope of glory. That is the mystery that is revealed. Verse 3 says this. In whom we are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So um, can I just say this? All knowledge is in and not from but is in Jesus. All knowledge is not from but in Jesus. Okay. Uh, so whoever desires wisdom to navigate life successfully must come to the realization that there is nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else than Jesus. You want real wisdom? Look to Jesus Christ. Um, all treasures of wisdom are him. There's the story of William Randolph Hearst. Anybody know who William Randolph Hearst was? He was the uh, tycoon, media tycoon um, Back, you know, he had newspapers and stuff, and he made millions. And one day, he had, he was very rich. Anybody ever been to Hearst Castle in California? Raise your hand, Tristan. Me and Tristan have been there. All right. Um, but anyways, and he has this big castle that he built over at the coast. It is beautiful. If you ever get a chance to go see it, you should go see it. It's, it's amazing. He had a lot of disposable income. But the story goes like this. One day, he saw a piece of art in a book, and he told all of his aides, find this piece of art. I must have it. So money was not an object to him. Your jobs depend on it, he told them. So months later, they returned, and he asked if they found it. And they said, we did. And he said, did you buy it? And they said, no. And he said, why not? And, and they said this, because it was in your warehouse. You already have it. You already owned it, you know. And, and so, too, it, it, it is for us. When we know Jesus Christ, we already have access to those things, knowledge and wisdom. And so, too, Paul says to the Colossians and us today that we already have all the wisdom and knowledge that we'll ever need to get through life successfully. Amen? It's in Christ. Uh, when you got Christ, when you got him, you got it all. It is. That, that's just the way it works. Verse 4 says this. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For uh, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. So he's not with them. He's saying, I'm praying for you. Rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. So, and he's saying this. Don't get involved in arguments. How many know some people that can argue? All you got to do is turn on the news and watch two opposing views on the news, right? This one's arguing this point. This one's arguing this point. And it's just like, okay, click. I'm done with that, right? Uh, seems to be the norm. So, But don't get involved in arguments. Keep, and I love this, and uh, keep the main thing the main thing. What is that? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the main thing. Don't get in arguments. And, and so what's happening here? Worms have started to creep into a, the otherwise healthy church here. There's some small things that are beginning to show. And Epaphras, he sees red flags, and he's asking his, his mentor, Paul, for guidance on how to address and deal with these things. You know, sometimes 
It's important when you, when you need help to find a mentor or someone to help you navigate some things. Amen? And so he, he's asking Paul for this, and he's saying, hey, Paul, can you give me guidance? Can you tell me how to address this? And Paul is saying, when, uh, when you open your heart to him, capital H, Jesus, Jesus, you find everything you need. It's all in him. Okay? So, so um, why is this to be understood? Why is it important? Um, here's the thing. Knowing, everyone say this. Uh, everyone say this. When you find Jesus... You find all you need. Okay, so why is that important? Here, here's the importance of that statement that you guys just said. It is a roadblock that keeps you from being sucked into enticing words and arguments. When you know Jesus and you know where your help comes from, when you know where your wisdom comes from, guess what? You don't just get sucked into enticing arguments, okay? And, and, and or get sucked into maybe a cult or other dead pursuits of spirituality. So that's what's happening it, it, here in this church. And people are coming in on the scene saying what Paul is preaching is fine, but there is more. And then other things are, are coming in through the church. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Be steadfast in your faith in Christ. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him and him alone. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. Amen. So, uh, so if you need a subheading right here, you could you could write this uh, alive in Christ. If you need a subheading here, at, at verse six says, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him." Scripture says a lot about walking with the Lord. I'll give you some examples and. Uh, we are told to walk in Ephesians 5, 8, it says to walk in light. Walk in the light of the Lord. Uh, it says this in Ephesians 5, 2, it says to walk in love. Everything we do, we should be walking in the love of Christ. Colossians 4, 5 says this, walk in wisdom. All right, number, number four here, Colossians 2, 6 says this, what I just read says, Simply this, walk in simplicity. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't overthink it. Don't, don't overdo it. Um, you just got to keep walking, right? Just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, keep on walking. Uh, I, I'm told that there are certain rivers lined with substances uh, that are called near quicksand. They're not quite quicksand, but they're called near quicksand. I don't really know what the difference is, but it's almost quicksand, but not quite. But if you keep walking on this quicksand, you will not sink. But here's the thing. Once you stop, stop walking, your weight will begin to pull you down, and you'll begin to get stuck in the mire, in the mire of what's and you'll eventually get pulled in. So are we to keep walking. How many can say, hey, in your heart, how many remember the day you got saved? Guess what? You're still walking from the day you got saved. I'm walking this Christian journey. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. And every day I get up, I'm putting my left foot, and then I'm putting my right foot. And I'm saying, Lord, is this the path you want me to go? I'm going to turn left. And I am following what he has put before me. But listen, as Christians, we have to keep moving. Okay? So, uh, so too are we to keep walking out this Christian experience. 
And the way to keep from being sunk or, or uh, to being pulled in by the world is to keep moving. Everyone say, keep moving. Verse 7, I like this, says this. Rooted and built up in him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right? So it's, it's amazing to me that the, the church is really uh, an enigma. It really is, if you think about it. For we are the only people in the world who get together regularly to acknowledge that we're all sinners. If, if you go to other places, um, you might go, and all they try to do is build everyone up. But the church, guess what? We come in knowing, hey, I am a sinner saved by grace. It's amazing to me. So, so, and we, and here's the thing: when we, when I begin to think about what a, what a, what a scoundrel, what a, what a chump I was in sin, I can't help but think about how wonderful God's grace is over me. I know that, and and, and you probably know that about yourself. And we begin to recognize recognize that we need a savior. I, I know in my life I need a savior. And, and we leave here time after time knowing that, that I need a Savior. I always leave here and I'm always like, man, thank you, God. I give you thanks for, for giving me grace when I haven't deserved it. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining me. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me. I don't deserve it, but your grace has been there for me. And Paul's simply saying this. Don't get, don't get sucked into the quicksand of, uh, of sophistication. Instead, walk in the simplicity of Christ. It's very simple. So, so we're going to look at these four things that were creeping into the Colossian church, okay? Here's number one, intellectualism, if you're taking notes. Number one, intellectualism says this. Verse 8 says this. It says, see that uh, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the uh, elemental spirits of the word, uh, I'm sorry, of the world, and not according to to Christ. So Paul's saying this, beware of intellectualism, things of, 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 of the world, psychology and philosophies that the world values and say, are you saying there's something wrong with those things? Well, uh, give me a second. I'll, I'll, I'll put this out for you. And here's the problem. This verse right here, people have taken this verse and tried to use this verse to teach against that Christians shouldn't learn philosophy. And I think, it, I think that that's a miss, okay? I don't think that that's necessarily right. But, but what Paul is saying here, Paul had a moment. How many remember in Acts when he went to, to Mars Hill? And there in Mars Hill, he, he argued with the philosophers in Athens. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that. You can look that up in the, in the book of Acts. And, and there he dealt with the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers in Athens. And let me tell you something. Paul knew his stuff. He knew how to defend his faith in that moment. And what I believe, okay, what I believe he's saying here is that believers are not to be taken in by philosophy that does not conform to a proper knowledge of Christ. Okay? I'm not saying philosophy is bad, but listen, you can't take a world philosophy, a man-made philosophy, and it is a temporal thing, and put it into something that is eternal like salvation. Because this thing is way higher than this thing. Man, I I know it's hard to believe. 
you are finite in your ability to think. God is not finite. He knows all things. And so, so uh, some of the teachers in, there in the church had, had combined world philosophies with the gospel. How many know that that is dangerous? And that's what they're doing, and it's called Gnosticism, or it's enlightenment of, the philosoph of these philosophies were creeping in. They felt like because they were smart, they were intellectually smart, that I can use these arguments, and I'll add these into the gospel. How many know that you can't add things to the gospel because the gospel is complete? And so that's what's happening. So his indictment here is that their teachings were not according to Christ, and thus not those people who were teaching these things we're not walking with Christ. We're not letting the main thing be what? The main thing. They were saying Jesus plus man's philosophy. And, and, but here's what, what, we, what we know. The Bible has all the answers to life's questions. It does. I know that's hard to wrap your head around, but it truly does. Well, then you say, well, what about this, TJ? What if I break my arm? Go to the emergency room. Okay, well, what if my car breaks down? Call a mechanic. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, you know, the Bible, in, 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 uh, the Bible has all the answers to life's questions. And in these things, there are spiritual or matters of the heart that only that the Bible can answer. Right? There's something inside of you. There's certain things that are within you that are churning that only the Bible can answer. And it alone contains the answers you need. So man's thoughts and man's philosophies have been wrong. <sighs> Did you know that? How many have ever been wrong in here? How many have ever lied in here? Those of you who didn't raise your hand. All right. Um, so look at this. I'll give you some examples. It wasn't until the 3rd century B.C., before Christ, that people started to talk about the earth being round. Were they wrong? The people that believed in flat earth, you know, I know, I know that movement's coming back. Those are just wacko people, okay. But, but like, but like and if you're a flat earther, I'm sorry. But anyways, but so, so people believed for the longest time that it was just this thing. But then we, we began to learn. We became enlightened so man's philosophies were wrong i remember in the year 2000 how many remember this um the year 2000 y2k oh we thought the world was going to fall apart right how many remember what happened at midnight oh we've been wrong before right we've been wrong before uh, what about this um in 1964, I was looking at this today. In 1964, it was finally admitted that smoking was bad for your health. It took the Surgeon General 50-plus years to determine that. I think, I think the, the first time you, you take a toke on a cigarette, you're probably, and you start to cough, that's your, that's your, that's your first sign, right? Right? Um, and so, but anyways, but it's bad for her. And I want, uh, 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 it's crazy because I, when I went on that tour at Hearst Castle, I remember they were going through, and we were going through this tour. They said that the movie stars that would come in to see uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst there, he'd bring in, they would play tennis. And while they played tennis, they would smoke cigarettes because the Surgeon General at the time said that that was a healthy activity to do. It's amazing to me, right? Or in the 60s, uh, uh, there was a Stanford professor. Maybe some of you guys can remember this. I can't remember this. There was a Stanford professor who wrote a best-selling book called The ZPG. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
zero population growth. And you know what he stated? This is a, prof- a, a professor at Stanford. He, he stated this. He, in 1964, he said, in 15 years, the world's going to be so overpopulated that uh, it cannot sustain itself. Well, guess what? He was wrong. So man's philosophy and man's, uh, uh, you know, the way that they think can be wrong. Are they, are, and you're saying this, hey, TJ, should I trust in science? Absolutely. There are times where we have to. Uh, but here, the scientific method works. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What I'm saying is men's vain philosophies come and go. Christ's wisdom still remains. Through all those events where men miscalculated, guess what? The gospel still stands. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Why would we think any less about our God? It even says that men are controlled and enticed by spirits. If you, if you look at that, that text, so and you say this, well, should I be educated? By all means, you should be educated. But you ought to be, you ought to be rooted in Jesus Christ. You ought to be rooted in Jesus Christ first. Paul's saying this, the, ph- the philosophies and the vain things of this world will pass, but the Lord is eternal. In other words, let eternal things speak of eternal things, and don't mix temporal things with eternal things. That's it. And he's saying just don't get them mixed up. It reminds me of the quarterback of the high school, and he was a, a little bit uh, of a jock, and he was a senior in high school, and he wanted, he wanted his girlfriend to skip school with him so they could go to the beach. And, and, uh, and, and he told her, he said, hey, let's go to the beach. And she said, I can't go with you to the beach. See, I've got an important lecture in history today. And matter of fact, we're going to be going over some stuff that's going to be on the midterm, so I need to be there. And then after that class, i got to go to English because I have, I have a, an exam in that class, and I can't go to the beach for you today because it, it is important for me to be there and to learn. And he says this, and he looks at her, and he says, the more you learn, the more you know. The more you know, the more you'll forget. The more you forget, the dumber you'll be. So come on, baby, skip school with me. Now, there's a little bit of truth to that. But some of the things that were taught as absolutes are now laughed at today. Things that were taught as absolutes maybe even 20, 30 years ago are laughed about. Things that I was taught in high school, my kids look at and go, really? You know? So here's the thing. Put your trust in Jesus. So verse 9 says this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and the rule of authority. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without bands by cutting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses. How many understand that? And the, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us uh, all of our trespasses. How many are grateful that God has forgiven you of all your trespasses? And so this, this is the key to biblical counseling and ministry. Paul is saying the issue here is this. It's simple this. It's, it's forgiveness. And let me tell you something. Forgiveness is this very simple process. It really is. 
we are forgiven because Christ worked on the cross, right? How many are forgiven? All right. We are forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. Therefore, we must forgive the person who bothers us, the parent who abused us, or the spouse who left us. And I'm going I'm to show you something. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. Oh, that's tough. Sometimes that's, that's a big pill to swallow, right? But, but here's the thing. Look at this. Verse 11 says, by canceling, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us uh, with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love this. Santa Claus makes a list, and he checks it twice, and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? But our Father, he makes a list, right? Our Father in heaven makes a list, and he checks it, and then it's nailed to the cross. Where the blood of his son covers it completely. Even though I may have been naughty, Christ's blood covers me, Dustin. The list of our sins, the list of our shortcomings, and, and our stupidity, guess what? It is blotted out by the blood of Jesus. Ooh, I love that. By, by the blood of Jesus. And some Christians aren't healthy because they fail to understand this simplistic truth. They know they are forgiven, but they can't understand or believe the ones who hurt them can also be forgiven. Professionals say this. Uh, they say, hey, you can't ignore abuse or trauma and anxiety and, 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 and um, those that inflicted on you. It must be dealt with. But Jesus said this, I've dealt with it on the cross. I've already dealt with it on the cross. And, and so he hung on the cross to die for everything that bugs you about others. That's a good perspective, right? He said this, it is finished from the cross, or it is paid for. So be forgiven and forgive one another. You know what that's called? Love. I love that. Look at this, verse 15. It says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Uh, over them in him. So Jesus exposed the work of the enemy. You ought to, that, that Bible verse, uh, uh, Colossians 2.15, you, you ought to circle that in your Bible. Maybe your Bible's not that big, your large print that big. But you ought, to, you, ought to, you, ought to, you ought to underline that because that's what Jesus did. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, the demons and the devil, and he put them to op open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them. In him. So Jesus exposed the work of the enemy. He also disarmed them by beating them forever, forever on the cross. So anything that the enemy throws at you, guess what? Jesus already took care of it. There's uh, Roman rulers would conquer a city. And when they would conquer a city, they would bring their enemy chained back to Rome, chained, and they would make them near naked or even naked, and they would parade them around the city to show that the Roman Empire was more powerful than them. Now, that's, a, that's an example, but Paul uses this imagery here. And the listen to me, the only grip the enemy has on someone is 
sin. It's the only thing that the enemy can grip, can get a hold of you. If you have sin in your life. But sin, and listen to me, but sin has been washed by the blood of the Son, and the demon has nothing on which to cling to once the blood of Jesus has been applied. Amen? So once forgiveness is understood, the blood is appropriated, and the powers of darkness are rendered powerless. Some of you are struggling with getting over things. Can I tell you something? It is powerless compared to the blood of Jesus. I'm about to get excited up in here right now. When Jesus died, he went into the lower third of, uh, of the earth, and he told the demons this. He said, they no longer have authority over us. That's what First Peter tells us, chapter 3, verse 19. So when I rejoice in the blood of Christ, demonic powers are impotent. They are squatters. Here's what happens. They are squatters. They'll sit. They'll, they'll just wait, try to wait it out. They're squatters, and they won't leave until I say, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. They're going to be there. You'll have a breakthrough, and then you'll go home the next morning. They'll be there squatting, saying, oh, you should be depressed today because, you know, last night was good and all, but you should be depressed today. But listen, they have no authority over the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. I, I grew up in a time where people used to say, hey, I plead the blood of Jesus. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, I, it's, it's such a reality. This is what's meant when we say pleading the blood of, of Jesus. Satan no longer has influence over me. And let that sink in. You'll really be set free. All right, here's the second thing that he's dealing with. Legalism. And you've heard me talk about legalism uh, in the other books of the Bible that because that, that's something that just pops up, right? And legalism is this. It is excessive adherence to the law. Over the top. Um, again, like other churches and, and, and books that Paul wrote, these Judaizers would, would come behind Paul as he would speak, and they would, they would say, hey, Paul is right, but listen, we, we're Christians, but we're also Jewish, and if you really want the full thing here, you need to follow these rules. What are those rules? Those were, those were rules of, of, of following festivals and following uh, uh, circumcision and, and, and what you could and couldn't eat. Eat only this. Keep this festival. Circumcision. And, they, and the Jews believed that the male had to be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. Well, imagine being a new convert Gentile and a man. Say, hey, you're saved now, but listen, buddy, you're 25, you're 30 years old. But here's the thing, you need to be circumcised. That's a hard pill to swallow. Imagine, imagine that legalism is excessive rules and regulations. I'm not talking about traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions if, as long as they don't become, uh, you know, the forefront of what, what we're doing. But uh, I'm talking about, like, if you have a list of things, you, you got to dress this way. you got to look this way. It has to be this. Legalism rears its head up. You know, verse 16 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Never forget that the Pharisees saw themselves as the good guys. They did. 
They thought they were doing good. I, hey, we got to keep the law. We, we got to make sure that this and that. But Jesus still ripped into them, right, from time to time. How many times? Eventually, Jesus healing the man with the withered hand would start a series of events that would lead to him going to the cross. That was, that was one of the starts to do that because they were trying to trap him. And he healed that man on what day? Sabbath. And the Pharisees were just trying to set him up here. What's he going to do? You know what Jesus' response was? Was this. This man has a need. What's more important? Keeping rules and regulations or meeting this man's need. And so, and so in that, so not to mention God gave, and here's another thing. God gave us ten commandments, right? And the Israelites, in all their greatness, this is what man does. They take ten and turn it into 630 plus rules and regulations. Sounds like the United States government, right? We'll take a little bit and turn it into a lot, right? And, 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 and you know, uh, but legalism attempts to offer, look, look at this, I, this, this, this blue, th- this was amazing to me. Legalism attempts to offer God the produce with our hands, much like Cain did. Remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? So he, he, brought his, he brought his fruit and vegetables, the things that he did with his hands. That's what legalism is. Here, God, look, this is what I'll do. And th- it, legalism is perpetual because it's like I have to live to these standards. I have to live to these rules. Follow, 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 follow. And then when we can't live up to those rules and regulations, then it's condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. Then I have to live. And it's this cyclical ride. It's by grace you have been saved. Not by your works. Why? Can't boast about it because it's just Jesus Christ. He is the complete work. So legalism, it, it attempts to offer to God the produce with our hands. But what Abel offer was more pleasing to God. I'll give you another example here. When, when Adam and Eve, Eve had fig leaves on, handmade, right? They, they, they grabbed fig leaves. They covered themselves up with, with, with figs. And God, look at this. God slaughtered an animal to give them covering. Likewise, Christ came to cover you. So no work that you can do, no fig leaf that you can create can cover the sins, the atoning sins that Jesus Christ gave for you. No man-made rules, no regulations can cover the nakedness of sin, but only the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Verse 17 says this, these are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Everyone say substance belongs to Christ. Woo. Okay. If I was to return from a trip and I got out of my car at my house and the sun was shining and Tristan came out and she was going to greet me and she dropped to the ground and began to hug and kiss my shadow on the ground, number one, I would be like, what has happened to my wife? What did my kids do to my wife? And she began to, to kiss my shadow and say, oh, you're so great. I would say, hey, that's a little bit shady, Tristan. Don't like that. But no, get, I would say, get up here. Because that's not me. Here's the reality. This is me. Put them lips right here. Pucker up. I'm coming in, right? And Paul is saying this to these Judaizers. You're following the law, and, 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 and you guys are grasping at shadows. The reality is Christ, because Christ came and fulfilled the law. It is 
finished. He, he, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament rules, regulations, and ordinances. So once you have, uh, uh, you have, uh, once you have the reality, the why, why are you kissing the shadow of legalism? The old law, the old rule. I know that's, that's a crazy, crazy way to look at it. But, but those things come in, and, and, and time and time again, I, I haven't, I, you know, I was raised in church, and I was raised in, in a time where legalism would rear its head, and I've seen it at its worst. Listen, and listen, the grace of God is much better. Here's, here's, the, here's the next one is this. Number three, mysticism. Mysticism. M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. I'm just, maybe I'll help you out here. Verse 18 says this, let no one disqualify you insisting on uh, asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by uh, his sensuous mind. Okay, there's a lot to say there. I know asceticism is in there, but um, if you look at a different translation, it doesn't say asceticism. But So mystics are these people who, who and, and listen, I've been in church a long time, that see visions that no one else can understand. Have you ever been around people like that? It's like, you know, um, I remember, who, and I don't want to throw on anyone under the bus, but I remember uh, back in 2020, towards the time of the election, all these people began to see visions of what things were going to happen, and nobody knew what was going to happen. And guess what? A lot of people got a lot of things wrong. And here's the problem with mysticism, and sometimes uh, mysticism people are, are, are very weird, and they, they creep into the church. They're, sometimes they're just weird, okay? It just happens. And, 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 and mystics, they're people who see visions and say, no one else can understand or know the revelation that God gave me. Let me tell you, if someone says that, you need to red flag. That's dangerous. Because here's the thing. Uh, are you saying people shouldn't have visions? And that's not what I'm saying here. I, I believe that God gives certain people visions. But I, I'm saying there's a criteria that we have to look at when we consider things, when things like this happens. And, and this often happens. So it leads to a prideful uh, position when, when someone comes and says, I, I'm in tune with God, and I know this, and no one else knows. It comes from a very high place. No one else can know these things, Right? But, and so first thing is this. This is what I would say to somebody who, who was to say this. I would say this. Where's your accountability? Well, I don't really, I, I just kind of go from this church to that church. Well, there's a reason why. Where's your accountability? And, and, and so I, I would say that would be my first thing. If you experience these kind of things, hey, listen, discuss it with your pastor. Because he's the shepherd over you. And I've had that. I've had people contact me and say, man, I, 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 this, I saw this or this. And, and, I've, and, I, and they said, what, what, do you, what do you think? And, and, and just have some accountability. Someone who is objective, not necessarily your friend, that is your pastor, is going to tell you, hey, that's a little bit weird. Sorry. That makes you mad, right? Uh, you know, some accountability, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6 tells us this. It says to test the spirits. It's what it says. It's, it's what it says. And some, listen, some people are false prophets. 
God showed me this. Where's your accountability? Show me that. Show me, show me your accountability. Unfortunately, many are duped and many are tricked in the essence of, of, of following people. And this is how cults begin and, 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 and cult-like fellowships because of this. But I, I say this. There's, there's two criteria to testing of the spirits. When you, when you come across something like this, not, I know this is a little bit different, but I'm just giving, you, giving it to you straight tonight. You know, I, this is something that I do. If someone wants to, and it's happened a few times since I've been here, someone comes up and they're like, I have a word. First thing I say is, you tell me what that word is right here, right now. Because I know this. I know what the scripture says. And, 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 and so if, if that word is not right or in the wrong timing, guess what? My job as a pastor is shepherd and protect. And I don't want some young believer in Christ being confused because someone said something wacky. All right? And if it doesn't, so it's so two criteria. Does the person have accountability? Do they have a pastor? Can they be corrected? Woo! That's a tough one. Can they be corrected? Guess what? We're not always right. You're not always right. I'm not always right. Am I correctable? Sometimes we just blow it. But unfortunately, there are those who, who want to share a vision but will not be corrected by a pastor or a shepherd of the church and will go down the road once they get angry at the pastor and go to the next church until they find a place that somebody will accept them. Now, that's a lot better teaching than, than you're, you're all nodding at me, but that's really good teaching right there. Verse 19 says this, and, and I'll give you the second one here, the, the two criteria. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So secondly, Paul is saying this, keep your focus on the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Keep the main thing the main thing. All right? Keep the main thing. Uh, be, be aware and be aware of phony mysticism because it, it comes around everyone. And sometimes we chase certain prophets or we chase certain pastors. But he's saying this, keep the main thing the main thing. Does this vision line up? Here's the big one right here. Here's the big one. Not only does this person have accountability, here's the big one. Does this vision line up with the word of God? That's the big one right there. Does it line up with the word of God? Does it go against God's word? Then it's a lie. Right? Does it go against his nature? If those two things, if it's those two things, run from that. Run from that. And oftentimes mysticism, it rears its head in Bible studies, we hear things, and listen, we, and I think people have said these things in error. And if you've ever said this, I'm not casting judgment upon you in any form or any fashion. And I've probably said this too. But we say things sometimes like, what does this verse mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you. What does the verse mean? And, and, and that's the truth is what does the word of God say? It doesn't matter if I agree with it or don't agree with it. The truth is the truth. That is unsure. That is eternal. That word is eternal. My little thought, finite mind, that's temporal. So, so, and, and oftentimes we say those things. And so the supposition of us saying that, what does this verse mean to you, is being that whatever the Bible means to you is valid. And that is not always right. There's a lot of people who walk in 
unsound doctrine because they think that the scripture means what they want to validate it to mean. Not what it truly means. And so that is a lie from the enemy. And so the question is not what does the Bible mean to you, but what does the Bible mean, period. That's it. Non-negotiable. Sorry if you don't like that. It's like gravity. You can not like it all you want. If you jump off a 10-story building, you're going to hurt yourself, okay? It is what it is, right? So Paul told Timothy to study in order that he might what? Rightly divide the word of truth. That's it. Leave your feelings at the door. Understand the context of the scripture. Understand what, what, what he's saying, what, whoever the writer is. And look at that. And if you're unsure about something, man, study it, study it, study it. If you don't know, ask me. And if I don't know, I'll ask someone and we'll find out together. So in, in questions of theology, people often say, let's agree to disagree. Well, that's not true. The final word is this, the living word, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if we agree or disagree. The final word, if Jesus gets the final word, you know why? Because he's the head. That's what the scripture just said. He's the head. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Here's the last one, asceticism, and that's A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-I-M. A-C-S-A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Asceticism. Got it. Okay. All right. So, and that right there is a lifestyle uh, the definition of that is a lifestyle with the absence of sensual pleasure or things. It can be summed up um, in, the, in the mighty words of MC Hammer, don't touch this. Right? Can't touch this, right? In the Greek, it means to train or to discipline. That's what it means, okay? And so verse 20 says this. If with Christ you died to the element, uh, 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 elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, okay? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things all, are, uh, all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. So the last group here Paul deals with is this, and this is a group, asceticism, that says deny, deny, deny. Just deny, just, just don't do it. Think, uh, and, and that you can discipline your physical and mental mind, and it will make you more spiritual. You can do it on your own. Now, there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of, of uh, monks across the world who are trying to look for discipline in, in things. And so they don't talk to people for years, and they only eat certain things. And all those things, listen, uh, and, and denial, those things uh, in denial, they're not going to get you anywhere because they don't suppress the flesh. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you something. Look at this. Verse, verse 23 says this. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Oh, did you catch that? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and, and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are what? Of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Denial appears to be wise, and, and uh, says Paul, but it's really, <laughs> this is good. You know what, when we deny and say, I'm not going to eat these things, I'm not going to, I'm not, what we're saying is this, what it really is, is will worship, my will worship, W-I-L-L, 
my will worship. Or what's, what's will worship? It's saying, don't you wish you were strong like me and you had the power to be like me because I don't indulge in these things. I can do this. I can go months without talking to people. I can go this long without eating this thing. So that somehow makes me more spiritual. When Paul says it right here, they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are not going to help you. Some, some, uh, and stop and think about this. Someone else who had will worship or, 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 or willpower was the one who said, I will send into the heaven. I will sit above the stars. I will be like God. Do you know who said that? Lucifer. It's will worship. I, I will. I will. I, I can. And some might say, if you're really serious about Christ, and I don't know who this person would be, but if you're serious about Christ, you'll eat lima beans. How many like lima beans? I like lima beans. I don't, I don't hate on lima beans. But, but, but if you're really serious about God, you'll only eat lima beans. God help us, right? And if, if, you, and if you like lima beans, that's great. But don't make it a point of spirituality, for it is nothing more than will worship. I can do this. I, me, 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 me. Worship of your will. Asceticism. Hey, stay away from this. Don't eat this. It's dietary. You, know, you got you to take care of yourself physically. And here's the thing, man. We're, we're three parts, right? We're, we're, uh, we're, we're mind, spirit, and, and body, right? So all these things put together. And if I think that I can control my spirit with my flesh, I've already messed up. I've, ar- I've already failed. So, so those focused in their flesh end up becoming, look, look at this, those focused on their flesh end up becoming obsessed with their flesh. I can give you a lot of examples. People who, <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody here, okay. And if this is you, that's fine. There are people that go to the gym, and that is their life. And they're focused on a physique, and they're focused on keeping that physique. And the older I get, the more that I realize my physique lowers about two inches every year. Things that were higher are starting to come down, right? And, 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 but here's the thing. It is impossible. You're not going to stop the process of your body aging. And your self-will isn't enough. So Paul, he ends this chapter, and I, I love this. He, he's saying, be careful. Number one, be careful of intellectualism. Don't, don't make it about philosophies. Don't, don't, mix, don't mix temporal things with eternal things. Let the gospel be the gospel. Let wisdom come from God. Hey, what man offers, sometimes it's not bad. But listen, don't mix the two. This is eternal. This is not. Legalism, hey, you got to follow these rules. You got to eat these certain things. You got to, you got to, you got to be circumcised. Those all things. Jesus completed the law. Legalism. Listen, the list of things has been nailed to the cross of Calvary. Amen. And mysticism. Hey, don't be weird. I believe that God can speak to you in visions. But listen, do those two things. Is it, is it in the word of God? Can you understand it in the word of God? And do you have accountability to it? Before you go spouting it out all over the internet, get you some accountability. Whew, man, that's good. And, ascet- and asceticism. Or, or, and these are all snares that can rob you 
of your simple, joyful walk with Jesus Christ. So look at this. It, it is, is in Jesus that we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? Therefore, keep everything focused on him. It is so, so simple. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you bow?